had breakfast with Glenn on uh, Friday morning. He sends his love. Can I just say to you that spending time with Glenn is always a great honor. And, and it's a privilege to have him as part of our, our team and part of our staff and all that God is doing. And I, I love him to bits. But you know, as God is working in his life, I can just see just the hand of God and the work of God in the middle of this as he steps back for this period as we gather round. This is the strength of community. It's the strength of Christian family. It's everything that we should be about, right? Because we're not consumers. And when we hit lumpy, bumpy times, in a way, we, this is the moment when as we, we, we have the opportunity to pray like perhaps we've never prayed before, to, to ask ourselves questions about, Lord, what are you doing and, and where are you do, working? And I really, truly do believe that as we come through this period, I know that we will be stronger and more blessed and more together and more, more sensing God's what God is doing amongst us. Already that is happening. So be encouraged. Uh, stick with that. Stick with uh, what's going on. I know Glenn is just dying to get back and get preaching, and to get leading, and to go for it, and that will happen, of course. But at this time, we're in this period, and uh, as community, and as Willow Park Church, we just want to uh, gather around, we want to support, we want to um, step in, and that's the beauty of, um, of being uh, part of uh, a larger church family at this time. You have some amazing elders in this uh, uh, community uh, who have uh, stepped in and have been working. In fact, you've got more elders uh, attending here than any other of our sites. And uh, it's fantastic. And Harvey's here today. Uh, if you know Harvey's playing, he's an elder from Highway 33. And uh, just, the, um, just the sense of, uh, of, of togetherness and what God is doing is very, very encouraging. So keep praying, keep believing. Don't step back, step in. Don't become, um, uh, you know, this is, this. Uh, don't allow the enemy to, to take away your community. Uh, step in in prayer. Step in what the Lord has for you and, and really uh, push in. Thank you so much. We've adjusted the time to 11 o'clock to enable us to be able to pour in resources and support and, and be able to do that um, and so that we can, can maintain consistency and togetherness. I know Pastor Joel preached last weekend. He said he had a fantastic time. He just loved the South. It was good. And he's preaching uh, once a month at 33 and then at Pursuit. And we just, this has created an opportunity for us just to luck and say, okay, how can we all throw in together? How can we all support? How can we all grow together? How can we all sense what God is doing? And, and when um, Glenn returns, uh, how will that then reflect in a sense of uh, togetherness, a sense of unity, and a sense of what God is doing, and that we will be stronger and, and, and more uh, together as we move forward. So, so keep praying. Thank you for your patience. And also, uh, thank you for your love. 
Uh, Glenn texts me last night and says, tell the South that I love them, I miss them, and I will be back. He is the Terminator. And, and he will be back, okay? For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, that's a film that he's been remade again this year. Um, so it's wonderful uh, uh, what God is doing and uh, just the heart of that in that sense and, and just the, the belief and the togetherness. And thank you for your kind words. Thank you for your support. Thank you for all that has been taking place and has been happening. We've been talking about spiritual warfare and this is apt because as I've just shared, we step in and we think about stand strong in the Lord. And this is what this uh, series is all about. It's about understanding the way that we stand and the way that we are strong in the Lord and the way that we can experience that. Let me read you some verses. You're familiar with them because we've been reading them quite a lot. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power Put on the full armour of God So you can take your stand against the devil's schemes For our struggle is not against flesh and blood But against the rulers, against the authorities Against the powers of this dark world And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms Therefore put on the full armour of God So that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Let's just pause there. Can I remind you something and you've been reminded this throughout this whole series and as Glenn and I worked on this series and talked about it and Glenn takes the lead with curriculum for the whole of the Willow Park Church network we talked about the reality that we are in a spiritual battle. And can I just remind you that right now, that you and I are in a spiritual battle. Can I remind you that the enemy, you know, in many ways doesn't have to be concerned with the unsaved world and the world of darkness and those who don't believe because what the enemy is truly afraid of is a united praying church. Did you notice that when you became a Christian, suddenly everything became so difficult? Did you notice that when you became a Christian, all of a sudden uh, things started to change and, and, and you felt pressure and you felt it was difficult? And, and you wondered why you were battling in this way. You wondered why life became a little bit more difficult and a bit more hard. And the reality of this is that you and I have an enemy and his aim is to take you out spiritually. He doesn't even mind if you attend church. He doesn't even mind if you sing the hymns. He doesn't even mind if you just sit there. But what he really minds is if you become a radical Christ disciple and you are willing to step in. And what he's actually saying here is take your stand. In other words, the Roman army was known for one thing, and this is what the Roman army were known for. The Roman army were known that they would never, ever retreat. They would always move forward in battle. They were known because they would always link their shields together, and as they linked their shields together, they would move together, protecting each other and holding tight to each other. This should be a picture of church. 
We are not called to be defeated. We are called to bring the good news of the gospel to this world. That's what we're called to do. Just outside of the town where I came from, there was a safari park. There's not a safari park here in Kelowna. I'm told that there's something like a safari park in Kamloops. I've never, is that true? Never been there. And, and I remember taking my kids every year to, it's called the West Midland Safari Park. And we'd go together and every year we'd, well, we'd go and have such a dreadful time that we'd then wait until we'd forgotten how dreadful it was and then we'd go again. Um, have you experienced that? It's like, oh, what should we do? Oh, it's been a long time. How long has it been? About four or five years since we've been to Safari Park. Let's go. Hooray. So we put the twins in the back. We only had two children. My mother-in-law was in the car full of cousins uh, in the car in front with my father-in-law. We drove up to Safari Park. It was very exciting. And as we drove in, we drove through the great, great plains of Britain with running gazelles and, and with giraffes. And then we'd go through and, you know, we'd, we'd enter this, this area that was sealed off. First of all, you'd go through the, the wild dogs of, of Africa. And it said, beware, deadly dogs. The gates would open. You'd drive in and you'd see the wild dogs of Africa. Ah, I mean, come on. It was so boring. My, my kids were just, you know, there. They're about three years old, two twins. And they're going and we're going to wild. Now, I've met dogs in Rutland. And let me tell you something. I live in Rutland. Our dogs could anytime take those African dogs. They were pathetic. They were wandering around looking rubbish. They were nothing, nothing like Rutland dogs. And then, then we came to the lions. And the gate opened, we walked in, we didn't walk in, no. We drove in. Now, I've probably been to Safari Park about, at that point, probably about five, six times in my life from being a child on school trips. And the one thing that amazed me was that the lions were all in exactly the right place. And the same place had been for decades. It was like they were stuffed. They never moved. There was a big table that was about 12 foot high, lying on top there, group of lions there, there. And it was, a, it was a holiday weekend. It was slow. It was hot. The lions weren't doing anything. They were just lying there like they've always lied there. I did actually think that they could have been stuffed. And, and I was there not thinking about this. And my mother-in-law's in the front of the, um, uh, of the other car with my father-in-law. The kids are looking around. We're trying to keep them happy. And, and there's a group of students in a car in the front, in a small little Ford Focus. And all of a sudden, steam starts coming out of this car. There's five of them in this car. So what did they do? They got out the car to look at what was going on. Now, in 25 years of visiting the safari park, I've never seen any lions move. But as they got up out, and as they started to look at the engine and look into it, suddenly the lions started moving everywhere. And they started circling. And the students were oblivious. 
You know, they think, oh, is the car on fire? Or, you know, what's going on? And suddenly they noticed that the lions were moving towards them. And they realized they were in trouble and they started to run. And the lions started to run. This is a true story. And as, because I'm a preacher, and as they're running, as they're running, they're jumping into other people's cars. And people are responding in two ways. They are either responding by letting them in or they're locking their doors. And Sorry. (laughs) Four of them got into into the cars and then the final guy was just going in and the lion pounced. I know it was bad and my wife is here and she was there We turned to our twin girls and we cried out, Shut your eyes now! And I could hear my mother-in-law, who is a beautiful, spirit-filled, on-the-fire Christian, screaming, Jesus! The lion pounced. The guy jumped in the car. He slammed the door. And he made it. I know. And we, we were all stunned. About 50 cars, nobody moved. Now what are you supposed to do? It says, the signs of where, if in trouble, honk your horn. All of a sudden, hundreds of horns went up. The rangers arrived. And they were wondering where the people had gone. I felt quite sorry for those students because there was at least another hour and a half of the safari park. You're not allowed to get out. Let's enjoy the rest of it with, um, with complete strangers. I did see them afterwards and they were stood there having an ice cream just going. Why did I tell you that? Well, I tell you that because for some of us, we actually think that Christianity and the spiritual world is like a controlled amusement park and the lion doesn't really exist. That you go, you pay your money, you're entertained, but really there's no danger. Really, the most dangerous situation you can get yourself into is start to believe that you're in control in that way and that really our Christianity is more like an amusement park than it is a full-on war with an enemy that wants to take the church out. We get used to the idea of a battle. We get used to the idea that there's an enemy. We get used to the idea that there is a work of darkness at work in our globe that is opposing the church of Christ, which is the hope of the world. And we become asleep. We, be, we lose it. And that there is every sense here in Paul's writings that he wants to reaffirm to the church that there is a global struggle and that we have to step in. How are you doing with that struggle? What lies are the enemy saying? What is he doing? How is he working? Let's get into scripture here. What it, first of all, it talks about, and we'll touch on this, is the belt of truth. It actually says in the scripture here, fasten on the belt of truth, correct? What does it mean by truth here? 
Well, of course, the belt of truth and the Roman belt would go underneath the armor and basically held everything together. You see, what Paul wants to say is that you have an enemy and that what will trip you up if you don't get truth at the center of your life, then you are vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. In other words, you have to choose to fasten truth around you and live in truth. The word truth here has a dualistic uh, approach to the actual word. It could be spoken about, about a truth of doctrine and also spoken about a truth of lifestyle and a truth of integrity. There's two ways there. But you see, doctrine and integrity must always go together anyway. Because he's talking about what we believe and the truth that is at the heart of our lives. And he's, always talk, he's also talking about who we are as people living in honesty, transparency and truth. Because if there is any deception within our lives, then the enemy will come and he will use that to trip us up and to bring us down. Think about this for a moment. You know how deceitful we are. And if we have inconsistency and we lack integrity, this is a foothold that the enemy can take hold of our lives. I was five years old. I went to school. My elementary school was called Ham Dingle. I don't know why it was called that. It's some ancient Anglo-Saxon name. A dingle is a wood with a stream running through it. And a ham is a dead pig. And, and so there it is. And I was five and my friend came to school. And my friend had a lovely shiny watch. I liked this watch. And even though I was five... I looked at this watch and he used to take it off and put it in all different places and forget where it was. And one day as a five-year-old, I wasn't raised a Christian. I was converted when I was 15. I was son of an atheist. I'll give you all these excuses. But one day I saw this lovely watch and I borrowed it. And I took it. I went home and after a while there was a phone call and my mom said, where'd you get that watch from? I said, I found it. Then there was a phone call from the school, and I was called into the school, sat down, little English boy with his school uniform, blue v-neck jumper, little blue tie, little grey trousers. And I sat there, and I said, Philip, how did you get this watch? Don't know. Philip, how did you get this watch? How did you get this watch? And I was like thinking about this. And I said, well, I... And they looked at me and, and this was the moment I realized something profound about human nature that I only remember it, see it now. They said to me, you know, you've had a relative pass away. I did, I had a relative who passed away. Do you think the fact that you took this watch had anything to do with the relative? Well, I'll be honest with you, it had nothing to do with it. I just stole it. But I sat there as a little, little toddler and I went, yes. Right? It's the first time in my life I remember I spun something to work my way. And at five years old, I was using a 
a lack of intent. You remember that moment. You know the first time you did this. You see, human nature has the ability that even as we grow old, that we can live out of a lack of truthfulness. We can live with a lack of integrity. And our very old nature seems to take us on a journey that we can become a people where there is inconsistency in the way we speak, the people we are, the truthfulness at the heart of us. And if we have that inconsistency, Paul says, listen to me, the enemy will use that to trip you up. The way you live and the way you speak and the way you act and the person you are secretly, truly, he's making this point about truthfulness. Because the belt would go around, you'd have to fasten it. And what the belt would do, it would pick up all the stuff that would hang around your feet. Ladies, you know this problem. You go out somewhere dressed up in a long flowing gown, correct? And you go and your husband's taking you out to somewhere really glorious and wonderful because, you know, you live in the most beautiful place in Canada and they, it takes you to white spot. And the Monteo. And he takes you there and you know that if you're stilettos and your flowing gown are not the right length, what happens? You trip up. That used to happen to Romans all the time. And when they would go into battles, not with stilettos, when they would go into battle, he would have to pick up the stuff hanging around his feet or the fabric underneath him and he would make sure everything was completely right, safe, not hanging around because the worst thing you want to do is trip up in battle because if you trip up in battle, you will be slaughtered and it's the things that hang around our feet that will cause us to trip up in our spiritual journey. Second part of the truth about is doctrine. See, if you don't know why you believe it and why you know the very core of our Christian orthodoxy and the belief in what we are, then we become open to the attack of the enemy. And this is important that we actually do build within our lives a rigorous devotion to studying the glorious truth of the Christian faith. We are all called to be theologians. We are all called <coughs> to know why we believe things. We're all called to allow Scripture to inform us and to lead us and to live in that revelation. That's why Jesus said, you know, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. It's by revelation. It's by truth. It's by walking in that truth. It's about knowing that truth within us and not allowing See, if you don't know what you believe and why you believe it, then get into it and get to know why you believe it. Because when you sort of know why, the enemy can come and can take you out because there is no, there's no substance there. There's no root. There's no debt. How are you doing with debt in your Christian walk? It, it, for some of these things, it's as natural as deciding I'm going to start to read 
the Bible every day. 19% of Christians read the Bible of, uh, every day. So the statistics tell us. The rest of us, it's sometimes hit and miss. The Bible has to be center of our lives. It's the center of what the journey that we're on. So Paul's making the point about truthfulness and about integrity and about us being willing to live a correct way and not allow us. So he starts off with, with the belt. And then he calls it the breastplate of righteousness. What does this mean, the breastplate of righteousness? Well, you see, righteousness is something we receive. Righteousness is something that we receive from God that is a gift. Three elements to righteousness. The belt of truth, there are two elements. We talked about that. There is our personal integrity and our knowledge and understanding of the depth of the Christian faith. The breastplate of righteousness, well, first of all, it's something that is received. In other words, we are made right in Christ. When we become a Christian, we are made right. He creates within us. He changes within us. He creates within us that, um, that transformation of his presence in our lives. This is fantastic. There was a day when I wasn't a Christian and there was a day when I was made right. I received his righteousness. I didn't deserve it, but I received it. So the breastplate of righteousness is what covers our vital organs and what the enemy loves to do, he loves to take us out in our heart, in our breath, and in what we carry. In fact, the breastplate, the righteousness, the actual breastplate in a Roman soldier would, would cover the whole torso up until the neck. And you know when the enemy wants to take us out, because the way that he takes us out is by making our hearts hard towards God. The way that he takes us out is robbing us of the breath of the Spirit of God within our lives. And the third way he loves to take us out is by robbing your voice to speak the glories and the praise of God. These are our vital, vital organs. So we receive, first of all, we receive this righteousness. So it's living in a position that we know we are forgiven. We know we are loved. This piece of armor, one size fits all. You may have walked in here feeling as if you are a failure. You may have walked in here feeling that your mistakes are too big for God. You may have walked in here feeling as if you are useless, irrelevant, that God could never love you, that you could never receive his forgiveness, his righteousness. You could never be a child of God. No, no, no. In your failures, in your pains, in your difficulties, let me tell you some good news. You can be forgiven. You can be loved. You needn't be an orphan. You can be a child of the living God. It's wonderful. And you see, when, when I know that I'm forgiven, and I know that I am, I am right with God, the word righteous means to be made right with God. It means, means also to live right and to be right, and to act right. 
How can I explain this? There's this beautiful passage in, in Zechariah chapter 3. And in Zechariah chapter 3, he talks about the prophet is prophesying. And as he's prophesying, suddenly there is the high priest, this 500 BC. It's in the second temple era. Uh, they've come out of, of Babylon. They've been placed back in the land. And suddenly Zechariah is prophesying and the priest is stood there. And it says, now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. Now what I want you to notice is just in verse 2, which we haven't got on the screen. In verse 2 it says, Satan stood next to the high priest who is in filthy rags accusing the high priest. And I have no doubt that the apostle has this picture in his mind. Because the accuser, which is the Hebrew word for Satan, stands and wants to speak to us and wants to whisper to us and wants to accuse you of all the things that you failed with in life and wants to tell you how dreadful you are. So here we have Satan. Here we have a high priest. And verse 3 says... He was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. Pause it there. This is us. Before we entered Christ, we were orphans, if you like, dressed in filthy rags. And we, in our filthiness and in our rags, had nothing to offer Christ. Then the angel said to those who were there standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Just waiting for it to change the next verse. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sins, and I will put fine garments on you. The breastplate of righteousness is the knowledge that we were once in filthy rags. We have received... He's buying garments of forgiveness and he has made us a priest and he has snatched us, he has saved us and he has dressed us differently. And then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. In other words, there were the filthy rags and here is now the forgiven one. See, there's three characters in the story. There's Satan accusing. There's the filthy rags of the priest who is in a mess and has lost everything. And here there is the angel of the Lord, Christ Jesus, if you like, who comes and he dresses us and he changes us and he gives us clean garments. See, when the accuser comes to you and says you have failed... The breastplate of righteousness says, I have received the righteousness and I have been made right in Christ. Wow. So don't live under condemnation. Live under the knowledge that you are forgiven. That you have been made right. There's a lovely verse just before that that says that I snatched you from the fire and I took hold of you. I love that. That because... If something's in the fire and it's burning, and you snatch it from the fire, a twig from the fire, it hurts. The pain of snatching something from a fire hurts, correct? 
the power and the reality of the cross. As we were snatched from the fire, he snatched us through the pain of his death so that we could be forgiven, we could be dressed new, and we could receive righteousness. The other part of the word righteousness is that you have to, you have to pursue righteousness. Think of Genesis 39, verse 6. There's a young, a young man. Joseph is there. He's fine looking. He's in Potiphar's house. And what happens? The wife comes to him and wants to seduce him and take him to bed. He chooses to do something. He chooses to run. You see... We put on and receive righteousness because we are forgiven, but righteousness as well needs to be pursued. Why is that? Because what Christ loves us, he loves it when we are willing to allow him to transform our inner life. Now, whatever Potiphar's wife represents in your life, to know righteousness means to pursue righteousness, means that we have to be willing to run away from something in our life. I am continually running away towards righteousness. It, it may not be Potiphar's wife, but it may be my anger, my bitterness, my moodiness, my frustration, my own character. I want to run away from that. I want to pursue righteousness within my life. When you are pursuing righteousness and running away from wrong, you are engaging in the most glorious, profound activity of spiritual welfare. Because you have been saved, you received the garments, and now you are being saved. Take seriously your inner transformation. Take seriously... The righteousness of Christ changing you from within. And the third and final point is if we receive righteousness, if we pursue righteousness, we really have to act out righteousness. See, the Hebrew word for righteousness is being made right with God, but it's also it has its root in charity, in giving, in, in the way that we act. Going back to Zechariah 3, there's another verse that says, the Lord says to this priest, come and we will work together. In other words, when you are made righteous, you pursue righteousness, but then you do righteous things. In other words, your righteousness without your charity, without you loving, without you giving, without you acting it out, it, it, it's kind of intertwined between being made righteous and acting righteous and making a difference in the world that we live in. In other words, don't just receive the forgiveness of God. When you receive the forgiveness of God, His righteousness drives us to do, do things around us. Christians, put in simply, from the Hebrew word, are called to be people of love, hope, faith, charity.
How charitable have you been this week? How willing are you to love? <clears throat> How willing are you to give? How willing are you to step in? Because when you wear the breastplate of righteousness, you know you are forgiven. But when you wear the breastplate of righteousness, you know you are a person of action, a person of love, a person of charitable activity where you will always do what is right. <clears throat> I saw this, this last week in the Hope Centre. Uh, Highway 33, we have a drop-in centre and wifey, Michelle, who's here, is involved in it. A guy turned up, a young man, in bare feet. He's, he seems to have lost his shoes. He had no shoes. His shoes were all worn, red raw, and bleeding. And some people were going, well, where did his shoes go? What happened to his shoes? And one of our sweetest senior ladies, who was just there helping the cooking, saw this and she was just so touched. Her instant response was to walk out the church, cross Highway 33, which is a feat in itself. She made it, praise the Lord, straight into Value Village. She bought some shoes for him, lovely white trainers, walked back over the road, and I walked through the foyer and I noticed she's a lovely lady. She's pristine in the way she dresses. She's just a wonderful person. And she's on her hands and knees and she's measuring these shoes out and she's handing them to this guy. See, she has been made righteous in Christ. As I saw her weep over his broken feet, She was doing acts of righteousness. She was being charitable. Friends, you've received forgiveness. But if it doesn't work itself out in the things we do to others, there's no wonder in 1 Thessalonians 5 it says, but since we belong to that day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and hope of salvation as a helmet. Put on love. Put on charity. So we're gaining a picture of a soldier of the Lord. A soldier of the Lord that can withstand the attacks of the enemy walks in honesty, transparency and integrity. A soldier of the Lord knows his Bible and knows the belief and knows the the very depths of our belief. The soldier of the Lord is one that knows that they're no longer a beggar, an orphan, but they're a son and a daughter. And a soldier of the Lord is somebody that does things in this world in cooperation with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I tell you, when you live like that, the devil doesn't have a chance. Because we are a remarkable people at that time had to catch up with two pieces of armor today because next week it's the readiness of the shoes of the gospel which is fantastic we are ready for that that's my favorite subject and uh and we're going to push into that let's pray together
Just respond now in your heart. Am I willing to allow him to search me in these areas? As we close in a time of worship, am I willing to allow his presence to speak to me? Maybe there's inconsistency and you know there are things hanging around your feet that could trip you up. You know that you've been taken out by the enemy because you haven't really understood what you believe. You know that you need to receive his full forgiveness and know that you have been dressed differently. Maybe you need a heart of love, of action. You've been too passive in showing love, charity, kindness to all around. Lord, I pray that you will search our hearts and draw us close to you at this time. In the name of Christ.